are Isaiah 55, 1-7, and Matthew 13, 44-46. They can be found on pages 683 and 902 of the Bibles next to you, to your seats as well as on the screen. <clears throat> this is God's word. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteousness their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our God, we come to you as we approach uh, these scripture passages. We're coming from different places in our spiritual journeys. We're coming from different places in our um, family, emotional, psychological journeys. Some of us are in a raw place. Some of us are in a sort of uh, numb place. And some of us are celebrating while some of us are grieving. And from all these different places we come, we sit down. Sometimes we don't even know why we walked into a place like a church. And we sit here and we're all, truth, truth be told, from those who are putting on a good front to those who are just being really honest, we're all more of a mess than we want other people to know. And the beauty of this story that we open up again today is that you love broken and failed and messy lives. You move towards them with grace so that it's true at the same time that while we're a mess, more of a mess than we want anyone to know, at the exact same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ by what you have done on the cross for us. Speak to us now through that kind of grace that the longings and the needs Sometimes the desperation of our hearts may finally find what we're desperate for, what we're longing for, and what we need, and may we find it in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're getting a signal. Just want to make sure we're still testing out this microphone. Can you guys all hear me okay? All right, we're good. We're good. In the back, there is a stack of handouts. I think there's only like 10 of them that I did. Um, but what it is, is it's the preface 
to the commentary on Galatians by Martin Luther from the 16th century. Last week, I quoted extensively from that. I talked a lot about that. And so, and I actually meant, I had those handouts on my desk at home and I didn't bring them. So now they're here. And um, I am going to connect with it a little bit again today because this is a two-part series on the gospel. So if you want something to kind of challenge you to dive deeper into, then take that and give yourself uh, 15 to 30 minutes to just read it and maybe some extra time to pray and journal about it and try to apply it this week. And then if, if you do that, tell me about it because I'd be real eager whether that connected, didn't connect, or what new problems it brought to the surface for you. The gospel. The gospel. Last week we talked about the gospel, kind of what is it? What is the basic gospel? Today we're going to talk about how you get it into your life. If your life is a car, then the gospel is the engine. Um, it's not the paint job. It's not the tires. It's not the headlights or the metal on the outside or the plastic or the fiberglass. It's the engine inside. The gospel is what drives you. The gospel is what leads you and takes your life in this direction versus that direction. Um, it is your source of power. It is your engine and it makes you go. When I was a kid, I saw a show, and I don't remember the details of it. It was an old show, like from the 60s. And in this episode of this show, there was this old car that was going to be sold, and it was a scam. So these people were scamming someone, and they were going to make it like this car was just in pristine shape, taken care of by a grandma who only drove it once a week, and that was going to be their story. And so the grandma would get out of the driver's seat and get her hanky out and wipe the handle, but it was a jalopy. It was like on the edge of, of dying. And there was this trick. I have no idea whether it works, whether it has any legitimacy. I'm telling you about a childhood memory, okay? So that's my disclaimer. But their little scam was if they put sawdust in the engine, again, no clue if this is a real thing, they put sawdust in, it would test drive really well, but then the next day it would die, you know, like it was going to anyway. So that was the scam, and, and they did it, and then it test drove perfectly, and the grandma got, you know, and they sold it, and then the car died the next day. If that's true, if there's any legitimacy to that analogy, it's a perfect analogy for our spiritual lives and our common practice of trying to run our lives on things that don't last that actually don't drive our lives, have no power, they don't work, they're not long-term solutions, and tomorrow we sputter out and we got to call in for a rescue. That's, that's, we put things and we try to drive our lives on things that are not a well-oiled running engine. We need, put it this way, we need an engine overhaul, in fact, a full replacement and that's what God provides. That's what the gospel is. But we settle for jamming sawdust into our fuel pipe. Spiritually speaking, that's our condition. And in order to have the gospel driving you, you have to, 
you have to become smart in the gospel. You have to learn how to work it into your life and get it down deep under the hood so that it's driving you. It can't drive you unless you go through this ongoing process of discovery, not only of, like last week, what really is the gospel, but then how, do you, how does it apply to the things that are uniquely you? All of you walk in with uh, your own little cocktail mix of things that make up you, and how does the gospel get into all of those areas? One thing that um, is a universal human emotion, but it's also one of the most common things that I see when I talk with people one-on-one and disciple people, Um, in spiritual growth, one of the most common things that comes up for humanity is anger. Anger. And just how anger kind of gets out of whack in our lives. It has a a positive role, but it gets out of whack and it kind of drives us in a bad way. So listen to just a sample of like driving the gospel down into the issue of anger. Okay, so you say, I get angry easily. This is your self-talk. I'm short-fused. I'm wrong. Things aren't going the way I want them to go. I'm not in control. I'm not getting what I deserve. That's anger is a lot of like, I deserve. I deserve respect. I deserve pleasure. I deserve praise. I deserve freedom. I deserve relaxation. I deserve more money. I deserve to raise, but that person got it. When the gospel seeps into this area, I realize, wait a minute. My anger reveals something that I am putting my hope in. Something else is driving the car. I'm a wreck if I don't get, you know, the raise, the praise, the freedom. I'm mad at those who interrupt my pursuit of this and I feel wronged and unfairly put out. I suffer injustice by not getting what I think I deserve. But the gospel says my deepest needs have been met through Christ. My deepest hope to live by, my deepest hope to pursue is the assurance of God's love. I'm all worked up about something I don't even need anymore. I can go without the rays, the praise, the freedom. I can go without it because I now have the gospel in my life. But the gospel also gives me a a way, an amazing way out of anger. Think of it like this, sort of part two on the self-talk. God has the biggest injustice placed upon him ever. If you follow the Bible story, his creatures made in his image, me, ran away from him and went their own way. So God has legitimate anger towards me. And my rebellion required that the injustice of God's incarnation and humiliation on the cross, and despite all this, I still, I still continue to uh, have impure and ungrateful devotion to my Creator and Savior. Despite all of that, God has found a way. I'm short-fused. God has found a way to be long-fused and even absorbing and redirecting His legitimate anger through putting the judgment on Christ on the cross. Christ felt it and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If I'm saved and made whole through that act of anger management, I have been imprinted with a new way of suspending and redirecting anger in my life. My whole life was given back to me through an anger suspension act by God. So this should start to imprint my new identity and unlock and unwire old habits of anger flare-ups in my life. Working the gospel into your life. So let that be sort of a beginning sample and then we'll quickly look at two images that come from Scripture that help us figure this out. There's There's a treasure in the Matthew reading and there's the water in the Isaiah reading. 
First of all, the treasure from the Matthew reading. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Same thing with the, with the merchant looking for pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You see the progression? A new awareness of the situation, an awareness of a new treasure, and a joy is linked to it. I like that because it says, it says joy. When you get the gospel, when it sinks in, when it becomes your treasure, a joy starts to take root. Joy is something that circumstances can't take away. Joy. So joy sets in, and then the ability to reassess all the treasures in your life. And they now flip, and they become things that all drive to support the new treasure. The new treasure takes center stage in your life, and everything else serves on behalf of that new treasure. And so in this analogy that Jesus gives in this parable, someone finds a treasure in the field, suddenly, boom, reassessment, recalculation, Go, all the rest is now being sold. All, I want, everything serves this new treasure. I need to have it at the center of my life. I'm okay now. I have joy. I have this treasure. That's the gospel. It's a reassessment. You're going to reassess the value of what you're hanging on to. Imagine you're in a huge boat. There's like 200 people. And you, you get to take a big, heavy suitcase along. And you packed it. You're going to go see family or some people that are really important to you. And you pack some things to give them that are valuable. And when you're packing, you're excited. And these things are important. You get on the ship. And you have a whole night where you're awake. And the whole ship is in a storm. And you're aware the entire night for hours upon end that the whole ship is right on the edge of complete sinking. Everyone's going to die. Your lives are all at risk. And you're aware of this. And it's getting more and more sure in your understanding that this could be it. And then the captain comes around and says, we figured it out. This storm is going to go away within an hour, but we're not going to make it unless we offload 4,000 pounds of stuff off this ship. Everybody's suitcase has to go overboard. And then you will live. We'll be okay. I, I know. I've been through this. I know we're going to be okay. But what do you do? At this point, you're aware of what really could happen, and you're just, you're just comparing value, right? It's relative value. Suitcase overboard. Got a lot of stuff you like in it. Over. What's more valuable? Your life. The gospel sort of creates that kind of moment. In fact, some of us are so um, stubborn and thick-willed, so to speak, that in, in some of you, I know your stories, God has had to give you a trauma like that, like a, like a whole night at sea where you think you're like... God has had to put you through that kind of trauma to get you to the point of awareness of the assessment of things. And then the gospel kind of finally caught, oh, this new value. Um, so in this story, we have the treasure in the field, reassessment of value, purchase the field. We have this fine pearl. Joy arrives, go, sell everything and buy the pearl. And then it's interesting because Jesus has, a, if you want a real life example of this, dealing with the treasures of our finances, there's a real life example of this in Matthew 19, where this, uh, this rich person, this rich man comes to Jesus 
And he, he's been very obedient, so he's, he's done all the right things. He also has a lot of money, but he still feels like something's missing. And so he says to Jesus, what must I do to, um, well, how does he ask, to get eternal life? Jesus says eventually to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure, what's that word again, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the young man heard this, and you might know the story, this, this phrase, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And, and basically what you have there, in terms of this man's finances, if you bring it back to the image of the boat, and the captain comes, this man would have his suitcase in his hand, and they would say, throw it overboard. And this man looks down, and, and, they, say, and they say, what? And they say, do you want to live your life is found in throwing that overboard. And he, he looks down and he says, but my life is in here. That's what we do with things. We put them in. So what does it look like to drive the gospel into our earthly treasures? What is it like to have self-talk? Let's, let's talk about financial anxiety and how you do the self-talk. This one's a little shorter. Once the gospel's in my life, I, I see a whole new treasure in security. Money focus and financial dependency makes absolute sense if deep eternal soul security does not exist. But as soon as I have the treasure of my reconciled relationship with God, eternal soul security, there's a deep peace and trust that's possible. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I've found the pearl of great price. I can release all that I used to depend on and put all my assets in this new stock. I wake up in the morning and I say, God, it would be ridiculous to think money is going to solve the important problems I face today. May I detach from that hope and trust you instead. So becoming a Christian means a whole new set of realities has become true of me and these realities are the new treasure. Use another little tweak on this image. I was a beggar wandering the streets and a wealthy king of an entire kingdom welcomed me into his palace and now calls me the heir to the kingdom. That's all of us if the gospel's true. Worrying about, sa about savings accounts and financial investments, if the gospel's true, would be like this new heir to the kingdom going out on the streets to beg for pennies the next day. Ridiculous. And yet that's exactly what so many of us do so regularly in our lives. So there's sort of some self-talk we're trying to get at today. You are already good with God already. That's the gospel. That's the beginning point, not that you have to work to get good with God. And so there's a sense in which there's such a huge value. The question is, has it sunk in? Has this treasure and the value of it sunk in for you? Have you... Have you looked at the ledgers? Have you done the calculations? And if not, that might be your next step, in a sense, is to go do some calculating, to take in the raw data, to explore and expose yourself to Scripture and to the words of the Gospel and to the metaphors of God's love and to all of the stories that you can find in this book and spend time meditating and asking God to help you understand them and help the, help the treasure to kind of click, help you to get, this is what I have. So opening up yourself to more and more streams that can kind of get it, that you can, you know, has that value sunk in yet? 
Are you living from that value? Then keep trying to explore and get it. I think a lot of times what people experience in church is the push to start acting like you get it before you've even got it. Do all these things. Be a good person. Stop doing that. Start doing this. But there's sort of the why question. The fa- why? What do I now have that makes all that stuff seem attractive? But then some of you have gotten it. Some of you it has clicked. And there's, that, there's sort of still, it's an ongoing thing. It's kind of like it's this new treasure, right, that's in your bank account. It's there. But how we are with banking now is we have these apps on our phones, right? You can just do everything. Deposit even from your hand, like in your kitchen. You can deposit checks. It's amazing. It still blows me away. But what you can do, so the analogy would be, check your balance often. Because what does that do for you in the world of your finances? It gives you this rest, this assurance, or maybe it freaks you out. I don't know. Depends on the balance, right? But with God, the balance is so huge. There's a treasure that's in there. Think about Harry Potter fans. Think about that huge treasure he has in the bank. What's the bank? Gringotts? Think of that. That's like it's just there all the time, this huge treasure. It's there. Pull it out. Pull out the app. Check it. Oh my gosh, it's still there. Holy cow. Okay, everything's going to be fine. Do that with the gospel. Rehearse it. Look at it. Know it. Have it coming into your life constantly, even if you already got it. Treasure, but also water. And this transitions nicely because water is all about going and getting a drink. So it's similar to checking your balance. Listen to this from Isaiah 55. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Buy wine, come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. It says, and you will delight in the richest of fare. An analogy some of you have heard me use a lot for the gospel is that um, the gospel is like a well of water in the midst of the desert of our lives. You can be a number of different kinds of people in this analogy. You can be zigzagging randomly throughout the desert, completely unaware that the well of water is there. It, it, it would save you. It would make you live. It's there. Or you might be, and some of you have been through this, maybe some of you are still there, you can be running intentionally away from the well of water, right? <laughs> and then others, you might just not, you know, you might be bump into it occasionally. Some might come and try a little bit and then run away and come and try it, go back. There's all kinds of ways you could fit in this analogy. For a while, what I was doing is I was running around it in circles. This is where we all got to be, at the well. We got to be here. Got to run around. I was trying to quench my thirst with uh, my own sweat. And, and I, that was me in the early days of starting City Life Church, trying to run around until finally I might be satisfied. The gospel hadn't clicked yet, and I hadn't just realized I can stop and drink. And so that's the other p- posture you can have. Your life can be dominated by, potentially, although ask anyone who's a Christian, they'll say, oh, hardly. I wish it was dominated by getting down and just drinking regularly drinking from what will give you life. Are you doing that? Are you getting it in to your life by some, some way, some thing, some aspect? In fact, the purpose of all, a lot of people get overburdened by the mentioning in church of spiritual disciplines and fasting and read your Bible and pray every day and do this and do that. You know what the truth is about all those spiritual practices is that they're just getting down to get the water in, to drink. 
They're just ways of getting more of God. They're just ways of getting more grace. They're just ways of getting what is your engine that can drive you, get fuel into your life. That's what all these kinds of practices are. Spiritual disciplines, obedience. Just getting the water in because you need it. Because quite frankly, a lot of us are spending our time drinking from contaminated spigots that we find randomly out in the desert. And we think, this is, this is working. There's a, a, a sermon illustration I heard another pastor give, but I don't really remember the details, but the basic thing was there was a, a TV show about a survivalist who they'd drop into these terrible situations and he would live and he knew how to survive. And one of his tips was this, you have to fight constantly against the strong desire to leave your camp. You know, just around that corner, maybe I'll find this. Just over that edge, I'll have, you know. So, I mean, I don't know if this is true because I'm not a survivalist, but the concept is powerful, right? Like, your survival, if you can just fight that at every turn and stick with your camp and stick with the things that you know you have, that you're, you know, that's your survival. That's powerful because as the, the hymn goes that many of you have heard and we've sung this hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. <laughs> it is so hard to, to stay close to the well and to root your life in practices that just receive God's grace. But go through, a, go through a season of just planting yourself and opening yourself up to things like, like scripture, like Christian friendship and community, like being pastored or being shepherded or be, having a spiritual director in your life, having a prayer partner that you meet regularly with, going to pod regularly, reading the Bible regularly, doing maybe Lectio Divina, which is like an extended prayerful reading of scripture regularly. Open your life up to these things for a period of time say a month or two months, just if you ever do that, you'll say, wow, oh my goodness. How, how much more I understand the gospel. How much more I'm, it's making its way into the issues of my life. I'm beginning to see it, oh my goodness. That's what spiritual practices are all about. Getting it in so that you can do this sort of on-the-fly self-talk. So, back to, if you go back to Luther and his preface to the Galatians. I love it that he even has an example in here of self-talk. It's great. He basically says, uh, I need to preface it with a, just a, a little description before I read what he writes, is that he's talking about how the Bible has the sense of, it has law, but it also has gospel. And the Bible's full of law, and we have to like kind of figure out where to place that in our life and not place it in our conscience so that we're always wondering if we've arrived yet with God. And the point of the gospel is it, it kind of expels it from our conscious, conscience because um, Christ has accomplished all the law on our behalf. So nothing's on the line with your obedience of the law anymore. And yet it still can be a regular part of your life as long as you keep it in the right place, all right? So it's sort of like... So that's what he's dealing with, and he says there's some self-talk about when the law starts to creep up into your conscience. This is what he says. I love this. He says, Give no more to the law than what is right. But say, You want to climb up into the kingdom of my conscience? Do you, law? You want to reign over it and reprove sin and take away the joy I have, uh, the joy I have by faith in Christ and drive me to desperation? Some of you have experienced religion driving you to desperation. 
Keep within your bounds and exercise your power over the flesh, but do not touch my conscience. By the gospel, I am called to share righteousness and everlasting life. I am called into Christ's kingdom where my conscience, conscience is at rest and there is no law, but rather forgiveness of sins, peace, quietness, joy, health, and everlasting life. Do not trouble me in these matters, for I will not let an intolerable tyrant like you reign in my conscience, which is the temple of Christ, the Son of God. He is the King of righteousness and peace, my sweet Savior and mediator. He will keep my conscience joyful and quiet in the sound, pure doctrine of the gospel and in the knowledge of Christian and heavenly righteousness. Self-talk. So, do you struggle with changing? Do you struggle with motivation to know God better, to do things that exhibit faith? Do you struggle to get rid of things that are driving you, like anger, like financial worry, like insecurities, like jealousy, greed, lust? All of these things represent other things that are driving you. Do you struggle with them? Open yourself up to explore and understand the treasure of God and then stick as close to it as you can. Drink deep from the well. And you'll begin to develop your own self-talk. You'll begin to pray your way through applying the gospel to your life. And let's finish with a prayer right now. Our God of grace, each of us has our own journey of hurts, of wounds, of difficulties, of doubts, of worries, of sin, Help us. By your, your great knowledge of our hearts, your great power to deal with each of us with tenderness and care, and sometimes with the challenge we need, help us. Settle our hearts with the truth of your love for us. Even as we move towards the table of the Lord's Supper, may we drink deep, May we see new pictures and new understandings that make our hearts joyful, that finally make our hearts so filled with rest, so convinced that we can rest in you, that we can stop chasing after things that have dominated our lives. And we can live from an endless fountain that will nourish, up, nourish us and inspire us and energize us and give us power to live boldly and strongly for the rest of our lives. Would you do this work of transformation in our lives because we cannot do it on our own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.